Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this weekend's UFC card. Here are your hosts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Vivisection with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. We are here once again talking about this week's UFC fight card going down at the Apex facility in Las Vegas, Nevada. UFC Vegas 52, headlined by a woman's strawweight bout between Amanda Lemos and Jessica Andrade. We're here talking about the prelims right now for a uh, prelim card that, you know, honestly, I am interested in a lot of the fights on this prelim card. Yeah. Like, it's, it's perfectly acceptable. It's quite good, it, actually. It's got a couple of fights I don't care about. The one that's currently sitting in the featured prelim slot, I can't say I care about it at all. But it's also got a bunch of fighters that I'm really interested to see fight again. Guys like Sergey Kondajko and uh, Tyson Pedro and Marcin Prachnio. You know, I'm, these are interesting fights. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if this one is, uh, it appears to have just been added. So I don't know if it's mm-hmm. going to stay in this slot. True, true. Does We're it's... just looking at the topology layout right now, which it has it in the featured prelim position. And uh, so we're going to treat it like that. Yeah. It wouldn't be the first time that you'd be like, why is this fight? I mean, last, sh- shit, last week we had that uh, Irma Gurdjieff in the yeah. co-main event. It's like, why is this the co-main event? Yeah. So it might stay there. But yep. uh, it also does seem like, why isn't this just the curtain jerker? Yeah. Now, no disrespect bring- to Preston Parsons and Evan Elder, both of whom are certainly professional MMA fighters. Very true. I was just going to do a now I'll throw throw it to my own personal curtain jerker. <laughs> Take it away. <laughs> um, uh, oh, oh, uh, yeah, it's Preston Parsons versus Evan Elder. Did we say their names? No. Okay, well, that's the fight. Yeah. Um, very, just a, again, a classic case of guys fighting. Yeah. There's not a whole lot to distinguish these guys. I would say that uh, Preston Parsons is – I almost like him, his approach to MMA more because he seems to embrace the guys fighting yeah. aspect of it. He's a, he's like more of a meathead fighter. He's, he's sort of in the mold of uh, the man in the next fight down, Marc-Andre Barrio. Yeah, he's definitely a fighter who is, who's learned that the biggest thing that he's going to bring to the table is being a physical bully to people. Yeah walks into people's faces he gets into his range and he throws really big heavy shots mm-hmm. that's kind of his approach evan elder um is slicker yeah i think he thinks he's significantly slicker than he is yeah that's always my suspicion of guys who are sort of like shallowish technician types at this level mm-hmm. um it could turn out to be immensely tough and resourceful if pushed sure but i always doubt uh guys who go in there and just sort of beat people because they're the one who knows how to do a jab yeah in his case it's really he's the guy who knows how to do low kicks and body kicks he is he's a kicker to on his feet to his core reminds me a lot actually of like peter sabota uh it's just a random one of those archetype guys that's stuck in my head uh the the classic range kicker who then does long distance shots to grappling 
Yeah. Um, and, you know, I like he does do some things as a striker that I like that I think are signs, better signs for future development than than probably a guy like Preston Parsons is ever going to have. Because mm-hmm. uh, he's just a bruiser. Like I said, yeah. Elder does have a respectable jab. He can mm-hmm. land a nice counter left hook. He does um, employ a little head movement after committing himself to a strike sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, so often it's like lead right, roll under the hook that never seems to come back because no one he's fighting is any good. Yeah. And then lots and lots of kicks, like you said, um, it, including the occasional like completely asinine spinning kick. Yeah. Um, he's very one and done. And my strong suspicion is that if pushed is going to be really, really uncomfortable uh, fighting someone who just won't go away and doesn't respect his one strike at a time approach. Yeah. One of the things I always tend to think of when I see somebody who kicks as much as Evan Elder does is that they really don't like punching at all and would rather not ever have to do it. And he, he has a thing where like, it, I mean, I'm saying he trains out of Sanford, so maybe this will change. Maybe he, I mean, I never expect big leaps out of that camp, but I do expect his striking to continue to improve mm-hmm. and to continue to evolve if he's truly training under hoofed. But, uh, you know, he, he he has the kind of striking where you see him and he's got the hands cocked and you're like, oh, yeah, there's going to be a big punch coming. Look at this guy. He's swaggering his way into range with his opponent. And literally every time, if you just said to yourself, he's going to kick him instead of punching him ever, you would be right. I would say, I mean, watch his fight with CJ Hunter, if you mm. have a chance. It's a slightly more recent one than his record. It does seem that he's gotten more comfortable with his hands. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really a like jab and left hook kind of fight. Yeah. Uh, but the, the real problem there is like, again, one and done almost entirely. The only mm-hmm. time he throws any kind of combination, it is to set up a kick. Yeah. Um, and then otherwise he's very one and done and he, you know, he looks pretty accurate, decent timing. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, my, my, uh, unless he shows yet another de- level of development here against Parsons, he is going to be dealing with a very uncomfortable situation of a guy that is just kind of willing to eat some shots and does throw consistently throws combinations. Yeah. Uh, and is going to try to be in his face at every opportunity. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think again, I, like I said, I think elder probably has more potential between the two, especially now finding out that he's, he's working with hoofed apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a very good sign, and it seems to have paid off a little already. But for the moment, I think Preston Parsons is already the fighter he's always going to be. Yeah. And it's a reasonably effective approach to MMA. Yep. I, I agree. It also doesn't help, too, that Elder is the one. He's stepping up on short notice, few days notice uh-huh. here. And he's doing it up a division. He's a lightweight, and at 5'9", he's not even an exceptionally huge lightweight. And he's coming against Parsons, who isn't way taller, five foot eleven, but is pretty bricked up for, you know, pretty huge for yes, beefy for the welterweight division. Yeah. Oh, I see. Parsons was supposed to fight uh, Louis Cosi. Yeah. Okay. And uh, yeah, so I just think, especially one of the big hallmarks of Elder's game, watching it regionally, is his ability to have a big physical advantage over opponents. 
Sure. That's really what makes his wrestling work. You look at his takedowns that he's hitting on people. They're not they're not awful, but they involve a lot of like, I've got a body lock and I'm just going to lift you up and just dump you down to the mat now right into side mm-hmm. control. Uh, that seems very unlikely to work against Preston Parsons. Yeah. So, yeah, I got to go with Parsons just to, I don't think Elder hits hard enough and to dissuade him from just marching forward with long combinations right? and shooting behind it. And then maybe it turns into who's the better wrestler and grappler. But uh, Parsons is certainly, he's the one I believe who's been getting more submissions out of his, his game, you know? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. yeah I just, I just think, um, you know, there, there's something to be said for accuracy uh, in striking, which Elder seems to have a much more of that approach. But the yeah. real thing is that he just like he hasn't all all the guys he's been looking like a a super accurate sniper against are just frankly not good. Yep. And yeah, just not not that Parsons has fought a a who's who of world beaters himself, but he has fought several people with winning records. Yeah, and he just, looked he he it was a really good sign that he looked entirely confident fighting his fight the exact same way against Daniel Rodriguez. Yeah, he got his clock cleaned, but he didn't change his approach. He went in there and tried to bust him up. Yeah, and he landed good hard shots doing it early. Like He he made it a competitive fight for a few minutes until just the fact that Rodriguez really is a naturally hard puncher and not just a guy who swings really hard. Uh, and, a, and a pretty great counterpuncher. And a pretty great counterpuncher. Really started to cost him. But yeah. we haven't seen that out of Elder yet. So, Right. But, you know, Henry Hoof, like, I I like seeing, you know, it's one of those hallmarks of Hoof fights. Like, if you w- go and watch Elder's fight with uh, Marcus, and Marcus Andrusia. Yeah. It feels very much like watching a Hoof neophyte fight. Mm-hmm. Which is it like he doesn't have a lot of ideas, but they're all good ideas. He's not doing a lot of complex things, but he is doing them right. He's as very he's, much what I like about Hooft. Too yeah. many young fighters have too many ideas. Yeah. Oh, I watched and, the highlight video of wheel kicks. I'm gonna, you know, like I think you see less and less of that over the course of Elder's pretty short career. Is it's just like no, no, do basic stuff that works. Yeah. And the two in that fight, he basically just had the guy outmatched for striking and probably outmatched everywhere. And this is something you see out of a lot of hoofed fighters is that he just kept the fight on the feet and outstruck the dude for a couple of rounds. Yeah. Like he didn't have a lot of ideas. He's not trying a lot of complex stuff. He's not surprising the person into a knockout or something, but he's just out there getting rounds and getting time and getting experienced and, I know that that's something that that camp pushes their fighters to do as they come up. It's just like, just go out there and strike with this dude and just like put your pieces together. Yeah. And, you know, it is one of those things that you see it often enough that I, I can now recognize it as a, as a product of that camp. And I like to see it because it's, it is a building block to future success. For sure. It's one of the best camps in all of MMA at actually developing fighters. Mm Mm-hmm. It may have like only one particular way in which most fight most of those fighters are developed. Yep. Although even saying that, there are a variety. There is some variety of style and approach. Yeah. But the main thing is you just 
are equipped with good fundamentals. A lot of other camps will just sort of take you as you are and work with what you've got. And then you'll never really, you, you hit a pretty hard ceiling. Hooft yeah. consistently produces guys that surprise you by how high they climb. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and it's and, a big credit uh, to him. It really is. You know, we, we, we joke about him and his disappointed dad energy. Yeah. Uh, as I think somebody noted even on the last card that it was. Yeah, uh, it was Dan Tom. Yeah. On, uh, Angelusa threw a really nice counter hook. And he, but he was going backwards as he did it. And Hoofed immediately, like, jumped on him for taking steps back. Yeah. And he carries a lot of that energy into cornering. But even Lusa, like, looked a lot better that fight than he had the fight before. Sure. It doesn't yeah. necessarily – it's not necessarily a bad thing. There might be bad personality matches, but, like, look at uh, look at Emmanuel Stewart. That dude would just berate the hell out of his boxers in the corner. Mm-hmm. There are whole highlight reels of him being like, what are you doing, son, and just screaming at his fighters. Um, that's an intensely disappointed dad feeling. And, mm-hmm. yet one of the best boxing coaches of all time, no question. So, Yep. Sometimes and it's, 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 it's always an incredibly, it's much, much like having Ray Longo out there coaching people, you know, it, it is always entertaining to see it in the cage. Yeah. Oh, for sure. The dynamic is fun. Yes. I love seeing hoofs just <laughs> giving his fighters a withering stare <laughs> when he walked out on Anthony Johnson after he fumbled yeah. the second fight against DC, he just left in sheer frustration. <laughs> Yeah, he's great. Uh, all right. Uh, odds on the bout. Do we even have? Uh, I don't think we even have odds. We had odds on Louis Louis Cosi versus Preston Parsons, but that fight just got canceled, and I don't think we've set any new odds for this. So no odds got, for this one. I got an odd for you, Zane. Oh God! And this is where, if we were meeting in person, I would pull out the pocket mirror that I keep on me. Yeah. Just for this joke. Okay. Here's an, joke? here's an odd for you. Yeah. And then I, I hold the mirror up and you're looking in it. And you're odd. All right. Next up, we've got a catch weight <laughs> bout at 190 pounds. Jordan Wright, Mark Andre Barrio. <laughs> uh, and... Uh, this is actually kind of a hard fight to figure out. Two um, mm-hmm. six months ago, well, uh, I would have I would have said no. It's an easy fight to figure out. Yeah, because Mark Andre Barrio doesn't get knocked out, and uh, Jordan Wright very much does. And you give them fifteen minutes to fight, and I'll I would bank on Jordan Wright falling apart before Barrio. Now you have, though, Marc-Andre Barrio just going out and getting iced instantly by Chidi and Chikawani. Yeah. And this fight becomes a lot harder to call because uh, Wright is the much more creative, I don't want to say technical, but the much more creative dynamic striker. Yeah. Yeah. He can pull out all sorts of stuff that can surprise Barrio from the very first second the fight starts. It is just always, no matter what Jordan Wright does, he will run himself into trouble. 
Yes. If he is moving backward, if he is if he is trying not to hurt you, he will be stock stiff. He will be straight up and down. His chin will be in the air. He will be there to be hit and to, for somebody to charge in on him. And if he's having success and he is hurting you, he will fall as recklessly forward into the clinch and into the pocket as he possibly can yeah. and let you counter him with whatever you can. Here is a dangerous man who is not remotely comfortable fighting. Yeah, incredibly uncomfortable. And Barrio is very comfortable. He just has very few tools. And he's been working on them a lot. That fight he had with Dalsa Lunjumbula was a great evolution for him of showing a jab and some body work Mm -hmm. and just like a little bit of reserve. Um, He still got hit a lot. He still doesn't have a lot of variety to his game. He still has to rely heavily on being tough. But when he can be tough, he can win. I think I'm going to take Jordan Wright. Wow. Just on a hunch. On a hunch that 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 knockout presages something more. That that knockout presages something more. And of the two men in the cage, Wright is the actual dangerous one. Because Barrio just... I don't know that you have to be particularly dangerous to hurt Jordan Wright is my problem. Yeah. He's so stiff and tense and upright when he gets backed up. Yeah. That he's just not he's just can't withstand a clean shot. Maybe maybe you'll get me maybe convince me to change my pick cuz Okay, I'm going to pick on Mark Andre Barrio. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm just going to pretend that that flash KO in the first, you know, 15 seconds of the fight didn't happen. Sometimes it happens. You can be the toughest dude in the planet, and if you start cold and you just get caught right out of the gate, yeah. you get knocked out. Um, I'm not yet going to assume that that means that suddenly Barrio's chin is gone or something. Typically, he's been immensely durable, as you said. And then otherwise, I think, I mean, honestly, the, the fact that he did show some like reserve and uh, attempt to develop as a fighter is the thing that concerns him more than anything else. Yeah. Because I almost feel like this is the time. Just yeah, go c- classic, classic Barrio. Just run in and mash into Jordan right against the fence and make the fight as hideously uncomfortable as you can right off the jump. Yeah. Um, but assuming that he doesn't get instantly KO'd and, and he, he will inevitably go back to that because it's what he knows, I just don't see Jordan Wright having a good time. Um. Yeah, getting, getting smushed against the fence. You you've reminded me of one thing that I probably should really carry into this fight, especially, which was that I kind of felt like if Jordan Wright hadn't bloodied up and busted up Ike Villanueva so badly, yeah, in their fight in his UFC debut, that he was actually on his way to losing that fight, right. He always because, feels as if, if without a knockout, a first round knockout usually, yeah. he's on his way to losing. Yeah, I just don't trust the dude. I, yeah, I, you're right. I'll I'll switch over to Barrio. I, I was looking for an excuse because, like, I don't know. My it gut is concerning read, for a guy who needs his durability. I totally to get just that. Get crush and like Jordan Wright. The thing is, is that Jordan Wright is absolutely every bit as capable as Chief oh, yeah. Jaquani of delivering those strikes. More so. I mean, you 
he, he he fights as if he knows he needs an instant KO. Mm-hmm. And Jaquani is usually pretty happy to drift through a fight, which is why that was so doubly surprising. Yeah. So if that if if anything is going wrong for Barrio, yeah, right can absolutely expose it. Hundred percent. But it, it is telling that even against somebody like Villanueva, where it's just like, man, if he didn't cut him open, he was expending all kinds of energy just. Pan- uh, panic energy almost that's just trying thing. to get this person gone so he doesn't have to deal with this anymore it just feels like all mark andre barrio has to do is survive and yeah. the fight will just get, without him even doing anything proactive the fight will just get better for him as it goes yeah i i do have the the moment the other only uh, only other moment of hesitation i'm having is that chris mutinho uh guido canetti fight yeah which had the exact same vibe and the exact same pick. Yeah. And Mutino just got instantly iced by Guido Canetti. Yeah, yeah. So. Oh, this is at 190? Why is that? Yeah, because uh, Wright's coming in on short notice. Oh, okay. For, no, oh, uh, Barrio's coming in on short notice for Roman Kopolov. Which doesn't give me any pause, honestly. Barrio's... No. Anything, I, I hope it means that he just comes in with zero game plan and just does classic Barrio, which again I think would be the way to go here. Yeah, just just try to crush Jordan Wright yeah. as fast as possible. It's too bad that the Kapalov fight didn't come off though, because Kapalov is like a busy, a busy high output, uh, hopeful technician kickboxer without power. Yeah, and that's like his big flaw. And that would have made for a fascinating fight with Jordan Wright. Yeah. Whereas this, I mean, it just feels like it's going to get messy. Like that, no matter what happens, it's going to just become a messy fight. But. Mm-hmm. All right. I'll side with you and pick Barrio, I guess. Don't blame uh, me when we're both wrong. You know what happens. Yeah, I know. Uh, Barrio opened at plus 110, dropped to minus 157. It's currently at minus 180. Right opened at minus 140, jumped up to plus 127. It's kind of at plus 152. That brings us to a welterweight bout. Dwight Grant, Sergei Hondajko. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to see Hondajko back in the octagon. Yeah, I, what's I, been uh, what's been going on with him? Why was he injury? So COVID, probably some visa troubles, because that always seems to happen with every Russian fighter. Yeah, I don't know. It just sucks that his career getting to the UFC. This is a dude who used to fight like every week and twice on Sunday. Yeah, and getting to the UFC has stalled his career to a crawl. Like this Man. dude fought eight times in 2012. You know? Wow. wow. And now he hasn't fought since 2019. Yep. And that. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, we'll see. I mean, that definitely, um, that long, long layoff and apparently dealing with all kinds of problems during that layoff does give me some pause. Um, yeah. Thinking that Kondashko might look markedly different from how he did before. Mm-hmm. Might take some time warming up. Fortunately for him, it's Dwight Grant, so he'll probably yeah. get some time to warm up. Yeah. You get all the time you need with Dwight Grant, who has yeah. been seriously struggling for several years now. Oh, my God. 
to I, I'm, I'm not going to try to fighter. I'm not even going to try to hide my bias. Dwight Grant is like one of my least favorite fighters in the UFC. I find him so frustrating to watch. He has absolutely stone cold classic 100% no question sparring partner syndrome. Yeah. He is so used to being the guy getting beat up in the gym. And it is translated 100% to how he fights. I think you're onto something. He's not, he's just not remotely assertive. Yeah. Because he could huge. be, man. He's, a, he, he, he's yeah. powerful. He's a good athlete. Yeah. He's dynamic, but he fights like he has been getting beat up in the wrestling room by Daniel Cormier every day for eight years, which yeah. is what has been happening. Yeah, that really is, is, uh, does feel like an accurate read. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the big question here is really like, um, you know, I mean, A, obviously, what does Kandashko look like after the layoff? Yeah. Um, if, if if Dwight Grant doesn't do the right things, which I kind of assume he won't, then I, I do think this looks like a pretty decent matchup for a guy like Kandashko, mm-hmm. who's reasonably high, high output, who can counter well, but doesn't just have to counter in order to get work done. Yep. Um. The other question is, can Dwight Grant make a a wrestling game happen? Yeah. Because Kondajko just got ragdolled by a pretty old Rustam Kabalov. Um, now, Kabalov, significantly better MMA wrestler than Dwight Grant has ever been. Yeah. Uh, Kabalov is the rinse and repeat master of MMA. Yes, yes. He he's he's almost you could look at him as like an early predecessor of the sort of wrestling cage wrestling approach that isn't now sort of dominating certain areas of the sport. Like mm-hmm. he just he gets you down. Doesn't matter if he controls you because he's going to get your back. And once he gets your back, he's got like three different mat returns and mm-hmm. he'll just wait you out until you are like, I'm sick of this. I'm going to stand up and then you off balance yourself and he returns you to the mat. Yeah. Um, and sometimes brutally with awesome suplexes. Uh, which, by the way, all the other guys doing the the Khabib thing, they should really do more suplexes. You know, they really should. You're gonna have someone's back. You're gonna put them in a position where they panic and stand up quickly. Come on, yep. Come on, fellas, make it a little fun for us. Find the dynamic. Find find the moment where their leg drive is pushing them to their feet, and just keep lifting in just that moment. Pick them up. It's time. Okay, people will. When I say people, I'm saying me. Yeah. I, will, I will love your style so much more if there's just one suplex per round. Mm-hmm. That's all I need. You know, is that too much to ask? And Dwight Grant does have a hundred percent takedown accuracy. <laughs> What's the number? <laughs> it's uh three. <laughs> I knew it was gonna be good. That's um, the thing. It's three, and the 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 real concerning part for Dwight Grant here in making a wrestling game work. It's not even that he doesn't shoot very often. It's that his three takedowns have resulted in a total of... uh, I'm almost there. Control time. 54 seconds of control time. Yeah, not good. He does not control people on the the ground. Yeah. The moment he gets... 
is not easy to control. He got stuck no. in the Kabbalah vortex because that's what Kabbalah does. But he was yeah. fighting to get back to his feet the whole damn time. Yeah. He's, it, Handashko is incredibly experienced. He knows yeah. how to fight. He knows how to do everything. He's just also yeah. got a, an upright stance predicated on creating lots of offense. And it's going to mean he's there to be taken down. Yeah, and there to be hit. I mean, I'm also yeah. just concerned about Dwight Grant mustering the, the the wherewithal to hit him with a big clubbing right hand before he warms up and just knocking him out. Could happen, but it's is only he's only been finished once by strikes in his career. Yeah, I mean, and I just in every, 2013. Everything points to Kondajko as the obvious pick. I just even yeah. though a super long layoff, Dwight Grant is just not the guy to really test your uh, your comfort if you've been away for a while. He's just, he's just going to let you get into it. Yep. I got to pick Hondashko here. I'll be sad if he loses because much like you, I also yeah. – Dwight Grant is one of the absolute least favorite kind of fighters for me to watch out there, which is just a guy who doesn't have any – doesn't have any process to winning. I will yeah. happily watch – I mean, I, you know, it's not awesome. I don't want to see it every fight, but I will happily watch Bilal Muhammad go out there and just smart his way past uh, Vicente oh, no Luque. Question. No question. Because I know, like, I can see the process for Muhammad. I can see exactly what he wants to do to win the fight. Dwight Grant, every fight he comes out and you hear them talking like, oh, yeah, no, he's talked. He's really going to – he wants to be exciting. He's going to put on a big performance. He's going to make something happen. Then you just watch him get in the cage, and everything is hesitation. Yeah. It's – like I said, I, I am absolute – just about absolutely certain that it's sparring partner syndrome. Yeah. And – He's just used to he's used to everything he does not working, <laughs> you know. That's yeah. He's used to having to fight Habib and DC, and Rockhold. or he's just internalized this idea that yeah his role is to wait for you to do something and resist. Yeah, and it's just awful to watch. It's just yep. terrible to watch. Yeah. All right. Odds on the bout. Kondajko is a very slight favorite. Opened at minus 190, jumped up to minus 114, currently minus 122. Grant opened at plus 165, dropped to minus 110, and is currently minus 103. That brings us to a light heavyweight bout. Tyson Pedro, Ike Villanueva. And the... Tyson Pedro actually supposedly returning to the cage. I still don't quite believe it. I still think he's going to like slip and fall and break a hip on his way, like during warm ups or something. Yeah. But Speaking of snake bit careers, at least Pedro didn't have a super long pre UFC career. Yeah. He has not fought since 2018. And, uh, yeah, this is this should be a winnable fight for him. Villanueva is he's kind of had to he's in the unenviable position of having to learn how to be a complete MMA fighter in the UFC. Yeah. And he's definitely getting into way better shape. 
he is sharpening his boxing and getting better training, but it feels like he's still having to learn everything and getting outpunched by Nick Negamariano. Yeah. Suggests that the hill to climb is pretty big. Pedro has, um, he's got a bit of Lando Venata in him. Mm-hmm. He's always, he, you watch him for like 30 seconds and you're like, wow, this dude has it all. Yeah. Well, he's he another can, Jackson Wink guy, isn't he? Uh, is Tyson Pedro? He might be. Uh, he was, he's credited at Lions High Performance, but that doesn't mean he hasn't spent time at. I thought he Jackson. had worked there with Brandon Gibson and with uh, the team there. Yeah, let me see. I can. It'll be on the wiki. Uh, no, not, if he has, it's never been un- okay. long enough to be a permanent part of his career. Um, but yeah, he he goes out. He starts fights. He starts fast. He throws power. He throws variety. He wrestles and grapples. Oh, I'm being told by our producer he is indeed a Jackson Wink. Okay. Well, there you go then. And uh, then he just, he gets caught looking a lot. Yeah. He, uh, in part, I think it's just because he's not as, he's not as strong. His frame isn't as strong as his uh, aggression makes it seem. So once he starts, and everything he does tends to tie him up. He always wants to outgrapple people. Mm-hmm. That's always the backbone of his game. And so for a lot of times, you'll see he'll like march in and just be absolutely icing somebody with like uppercuts and hooks. And then he'll clinch up with them and he'll try a takedown that looks like it should work just fine. Yeah. And his opponent will just muscle through it and crush him in the intervening seconds of him trying to adjust and figure out what to do next. Or he'll walk in and just like Lando Venata, he'll just kind of square himself up right in the pocket and he'll land something or he'll think about landing something hard and just get hit really hard on the return. Mm-hmm. That just shouldn't be a problem against Ike Villanueva. He's not fast enough. He doesn't hit hard enough. And he doesn't have enough variety anywhere for me to really feel like he can take Tyson Pedro, make Tyson Pedro pay for the hesitation in his game. Mm-hmm. Or for the lack of muscle in it. So that's it. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I don't really have a whole lot to add other than um, just to reiterate, uh, don't know how exactly Tyson Pedro is going to look. Yeah. Super, super long layoff. And for a fighter with a much less consistent process than Sergey Kondosko to go back to. Yeah. He is um, a fighter who needed, like, all the time off he took really could have been useful because he was at a point after that, that OSP and Shogun loss where his game needed to be rebuilt. Yeah. So who knows what happened in those intervening couple of, in those intervening four or three plus years. Because mm-hmm. you can't, at light heavyweight, you cannot be as... You know, you can't be as knockout prone as he was becoming. Yeah. Or as, you know, just uh, power deficient as he was becoming, where it would just be like, you know, he tied up with Latifi was the same thing, where it's just like, 
you know, you watch him against Paul Craig or Saparek Safarov, you're like, oh, wow, when this guy can bully somebody, he just breaks them. Mm -hmm. But if they can bully him back at all, he gets broken. Yeah, and, uh, you know, Villanueva can be an aggressive bully of a fighter. I just haven't seen it at this level. Yeah, and I think it's the I think it's the 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 phase shift option for Pedro as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, you pointed out I think a very valid problem with his wrestling, but I don't think Villanueva is that kind of physical specimen. No, um, he's also just not had to face a lot of people who consistently try to take him down. Yeah, and and it really says a lot too that like Jordan Wright. I talk about we were just talking about how Jordan Wright seemed like. Jordan Wright might have lost that fight if he hadn't been able to uh, cut Villanueva open and bust him up the way he did. Yeah. There's a chance for Villanueva to come back, but it does say a lot that Villanueva did just get instantly overwhelmed by Jordan Wright, that he is the kind of guy where Jordan Wright could just march out there, go ham on him, and the ref had to stop it because there just wasn't enough that Villanueva could do in return. So, yep. yep. So I will go with Pedro as well. Good to see him get back out there. Um, odds are way too high on him after the layoff he had and considering the issues, the holes in his game. He opened at minus 450. He's currently at minus 585. Ike Villanueva opened at plus 350. He's currently up at plus 410. Yeah, I don't. I don't understand that. I get the Villanueva is not very good. I don't know. But yeah, Pedro. He's very much a he's a glass cannon, live by the sword, die by the sword kind of fighter. Yeah, I don't know. I, yeah. It's but you know, I, I I don't count on Villanueva. No, no, I know. It's true. But uh. All right, that brings us to a, a bantamweight bout. I thought this was a flyweight fight, but it's actually a bantamweight fight, uh, apparently, at least according to Tapology. I think Wiki has it listed as a flyweight bout, but whatever. Um, A.R. Lang, Cameron Else. Arichi Lang, Zane. Arichi, oh, Arichi Lang. There we go. <laughs> Whatever. Oh I'm just glad you make my pronunciation sound good. Yeah, well, they're you know. certainly not. Yeah, they are. I am here purely to, uh, in in the terms of pronunciation, I'm here to prop you up. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing it is bantamweight, um, simply because Cameron Else, Else, Elsie, Elsa, Cameron Else has not. Um, as far as I can tell, his fight with Kyler Phillips was his bantamweight debut. Yeah, and I could and see him before that he was before that he was featherweight and lightweight. Yeah, he's five foot nine with a, a seventy-one inch reach apparently, and uh, oh no, he had fought him, at bantamweight before. But yeah, that 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 makes him actually a pro in in uh, in physique. That makes him you know borderline on like there's some middleweights with that build out there. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I would not. I, I would actually be surprised if he was dropping to flyweight. Yeah, it doesn't seem very feasible. Um, he certainly looked huge, even compared to Kyler Phillips, who's who's a short man, but but heavily built. Yeah, and uh, it did seem to make Kyler Phillips a little uncomfortable. Yeah, uh, until he just was... sort of 
figured out that he could do whatever he wanted. Yeah. Else throws with a lot of reckless abandon. He's going to yeah. make people uncomfortable. Yeah. He's, he's big. He throws with reckless abandon. Um, I don't think he's particularly good, though. No. He's uh, kind of just like one big strike at a time. Um, fights with a lot of swagger that is not backed up by any, any actual defensive or defensive technique or footwork. And uh, yeah, like Kyler Phillips, granted, has the advantage of himself being a great athlete with big power. But he kind of just like came to a point where he just kind of started running in and hitting Cameron Ellis and it worked. Yeah. Um, and Alrichie Lang is probably not even going to have the same kind of fight because he's pathologically aggressive. Yep. He is going to, I think, make Cameron Ellis quite uncomfortable by just insistently walking him down. Now, it is a concern that he's a guy who who, who tends to rely somewhat on being big himself, mm-hmm. who is now fighting, I'm going to assume, a bigger man. Yeah. Uh, up a division. Ellis has a couple inches on him. Yeah. A bigger man up a division. Yep. Um, so there might be a big power difference here. There might be a little more hesitation from Alrichie Lang. Both of these would be bad things. Uh, yeah. For a guy who just gets hit clean and needs to bully people with his size. But assuming he still tries to bully Cameron Else, I just don't think there's any depth to Else's game. Yeah. The big thing with Else really is no matter who he's fighting or how much success he's having, he gets tired. He seems like he gets really tired. Yeah. And that was like the big thing, even bigger than anything else in that Kyler Phillips fight. Sure. After a couple of minutes of swinging on Phillips, he just got tired. Yeah. And you look at his whole career, and it is entirely one-round finishes and losses or or losses. That's it. He has wins in the first round, and then he loses. Mm-hmm. He's never won outside of round one. And you look at Ori uh, uh, Lang. And he has never he, – he was finished by a choke in round three and choke in round two very early in his career, and everything else has been a decision. Mm-hmm. You have to beat him the whole way through. Yeah. He's tough as hell, and he's pathologically aggressive. And I – yeah, I don't know that I trust Elf to stand up to that. Yeah, who, who's the other guy? The uh, like uh, karate guy, tall, skinny, curly hair. Who's another just like he? he he's who else reminds me of, but I can't think of his name. He, any idea? I'll try to think of it. Tall, skinny, curly. Oh, Charlie Oliveras. That is the one. All right. Yeah. The uh, the vanilla ice on meth. That's right. Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. It, it's re- very much like a. Here are some slick power moves, and then everything behind them is just Swiss cheese. Yeah. And generally, if it doesn't work quickly, it doesn't work. Yeah. Also, sometimes it doesn't work quickly. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I also just get knocked out in round one. Yeah. Uh, Ori Chileng is opened at minus 160, dropped to minus 240, is currently minus 231. Else opened at plus 140, jumped up to plus 199, is currently plus 188. Else also, he has the style and the sort of feeling of a young fighter on the rise, 
And then he's also 34 and has been doing this for a decade. Yeah. Another thing like Charlie Ontiveros. Yep. Guy's just entire career has just been living and dying by the sword in about three minutes each fight. Mm-hmm. And he's, at least according to topology, he fights out of Jackson Wink and the BMF Ranch. And, uh, yeah, if ever there's a team that has become more and more notable as a holding pattern. Uh-huh. Big Jackson Wink is very much that. That. All right. That brings us to a light heavyweight bout. Marcin Prachnio, Philip Linz, Felipe Linz. And uh, yeah, actually, I'm 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 excited by this fight because I like what Prochnio is trying to do. Yeah, most improved man. Yeah, I think he's putting serious dedication into being a better fighter. Notably, it seems like he has decided that he now understands that he's going to get hit. Mm-hmm. And understanding that he is going to get hit has made him less tense about the whole damn thing. Yeah. He's been there now. Yeah. And there's nothing about that fight that he had with Khalil Roundtree where he didn't get hit really hard. Mm -hmm. You know, there's nothing about that that didn't happen to him. There's nothing that happened to him in that fight that didn't happen to him against Sam Alvey. Magomed Ankalaev or Mike Rodriguez. Yeah, except that it didn't finish him. Yep. He didn't freak out. He didn't insist that the fighter continue hitting him cleaner and harder than before. Yep. He responded with, I mean, yeah, pay attention, other fighters. This guy who had the most embarrassing possible UFC debut. Yeah. And he didn't change weight classes. He didn't, like, like radically alter his physique. He just, like got better at fighting mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's made a world of difference. Yeah. And he throws a great, with great variety and great uh, speed and power and the ability to surprise people in the pocket, like that head kick he throws comes up from all distances with shocking speed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's, he's still got a bit of a, He's got the thing that really doubled up in making him such a glass cannon before still, which is that he basically just kind of sets his mind to on something and walks in and decides to throw it. Sure. Like there was a point where Khalil, Khalil Roundtree just had his like fist cocked halfway out and Prachnio just stepped in on like a body kick and just ate it flush. Like it's just like the 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 hand is right there saying, I am going to punch you if you step into range. And Prachnio's like, well, I gotta I, I've decided I'm gonna throw this, so I'm gonna step in and throw it. Yeah. So there are chances for Linz who He takes the shots now and he doesn't take yeah. the same shot over and over and over anymore. Yeah. There, big, there are big chances, chances here for Linz. He's going to land. I don't think that, you know, he's, he's going to be too crafty for Linz to hit him or anything. No. But uh, I have no trust at all for heavyweights dropping to light heavyweight. Yeah. Like, I talk about not having a lot of faith. Like, 
Fine Lanes has been at light heavyweight in the past, but that's also where he got iced by Vadim Nemkov and uh, Clever Silva over in Bellator. Yeah. And Kelly Annenson. All that was a knee injury. But, uh, yeah, if I talk about heavy, light heavyweights moving up to heavyweight and the need for dad energy at heavyweight that a lot of light heavyweights just don't have, mm-hmm. heavyweights dropping to light heavyweight is often a disaster. Like, it suddenly it's, oh, wait, the fact that I was tough and big and, you know, powerful really counted for something at heavyweight. And now I'm in a division where not only have I drained my durability – but now everybody is faster and hits harder or hits as hard. Pretty much every light heavyweight hits like a heavyweight. They just, they aren't as durable and heavyweights dropping down, but they're way faster and heavyweights dropping down suddenly find they've given up some of their durability and they aren't nearly as fast. So I'm going to bet on Prochneo to just be too fast and too dynamic. Yeah. But it'll be fun. I actually wonder why um, why Lenz went to heavyweight in the first place because it looks like the the whole first stretch of his career was at light heavy. Yeah, well, he he went to heavyweight to compete in PFL for a million dollars. It was a great it was a great thing to do because he went and won a million dollars running through Alex Nicholson, Jared Rochalt, Kyle Allencar, and Josh Copeland. Uh huh. He just basically got to be the fast, powerful, light, heavy, or heavyweight and run through a bunch of quadruple A level heavyweights, which are, you know, anything outside of your biggest leagues for heavyweight is just mess. Yeah, absolutely. So made sense, but you know, I don't, I don't know that going back down is going to serve him better. Yeah. Um, He's just so slow paced. It's so one shot at a time. That's the real problem, I guess. Like, you, you, if you're gonna let, like, give give Procneo, um space to work. Yeah. And he's he can be like reasonably creative, um, and powerful and quick. He's a solid athlete. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess I agree. Um, Lit- he can is, still get. He could still get iced Lins. The shots, the single shots he throws are pretty decent. Yeah, that's the thing is like, um, but, I, you know, is that not true of Khalil Roundtree? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I was just kind of thinking like, um, you know, Pro- Procneo going up against a guy like Ike Villanueva and still having, you know, some messy moments. Like it's, mm-hmm. he invariably has some messy moments in his fights. Like I said, he picks what he's going to do from like eight feet away. Yeah. And then he just walks in and does it. The timing, you can you can pick him out and time him every time for when he's going to enter the pocket. That is why yeah. he got crushed by Sam Alvey. He's just a lot more comfortable with the idea now that he's going to get hit when he does it. And it's that's fine. Yeah. And I do think of Linz as a, uh, you know, and uh, certainly by heavyweight standards as like a pretty technical striker. Mm-hmm. Um, he uses his jab. He can check low kicks. You know, he has like some modicum of defense and distance management going on there. Mm-hmm. But he's just not going to be as quick or dynamic as uh, Procneo here. Yeah. And the fact that like, you know, you go back to 2017 and that got him iced by Vadim Nemkov and just a, 
one strike at a time guys light heavyweight fighting yeah i think you know there's a pretty good opportunity for brock now to do that again yeah okay i certainly but, want to pick brock now yeah and it's been two years of constant injury trouble for Linz too right like he was not medically comp- cleared to compete against Ben Rothwell. Was he now? Yeah. Well, yeah. So he has been struggling for a while now. And sure. uh, if he's been having health troubles, that that's a, a lot more worrying. Yeah. Prochnio. Prochnio has found a sports psychologist, it appears. So Yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, Prochnia opened at uh, minus 150, dropped down to minus 162, currently at minus 127. Linz opened at plus 130, dropped down to as low as plus 101, is currently plus 103. So pretty even line. I'm fine with that. And, um, yeah, I'm I'm picking Prochnia just because I, I like his variety more. I like the way he's been responding to his fights. I like mm-hmm. the improvements he's showed. And for Linz, I just feel like he's running regularly up against a level of competition in the UFC that is incredibly slow striking style is not made to defeat. Mm-hmm. Yep, that sounds about right. That brings us to... The people's the, main event, Zane. The people's main event, the kind of fight where you watch one fighter on tape and you say, oh, <laughs> man, there's no way this dude is winning. And then you turn around and watch his opponent. Ah, well, yeah. That, you know, that, that woman or that uh, meme of that woman looking totally disgusted in the next uh-huh. frame. She's uh-huh. like, eh, yeah, maybe Ooh. this is that fight. Yeah, thinking, I, I think it was in that in video, like drinking some kind of absurd, like celery soda or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you make it sound close, but I'm still going to pick Dean Barry. Yeah, I mean, it, but it's just watching Dean Barry from the outset. You're just like, man, this dude is crushing cans. Yeah. And every single fight he's in, no matter how bad his opponent is, no matter how quickly he knocks them out, he gets taken down. Yeah. Instantly. It just falls over. Yeah. No takedown defense at all. No adaptation to wrestling in his MMA game whatsoever. Gets his back taken almost every time. Yeah. And his one loss is a rear naked choke. Yep. And then you go watch Mike Jackson fight CM Punk. And you realize that Jackson ate several of the exact simple one-two counter that Barry throws over and over and over again to knock people out. Yep. From CM Punk. Yep. I and mean, the he's, reason... He's, he's also like... Well, go on, go on. And the reason is that he's just not a pro athlete. CM yeah. Punk isn't a pro athlete either. And Mike yeah. Jackson's much more of a pro athlete than CM Punk. But Much more? Well, he made, I mean... A little bit. <laughs> he made, CM Punk made... I, I will always stand by my comment that CM Punk made Mike Jackson look like John Jones out there for how bad he beat him. Yeah. CM Punk is a deleterious athletic talent. Yeah. Who also, like, got into his first actual combat sport at the age of, like, 39. Yeah, and that's why. But uh-huh. he's just, you know, CM Punk is... 
not recreational softball league level of no. athletes. No, yeah, I, I mean, I think more than anything than any athletic ability, it was just that Mike Jackson has like done some boxing. Yeah, you know, like he's actually done fighting before. CM Punk just got thrown into the deep end, literally having never done it. Yeah, and clearly not having a particular talent for it at that age. Yeah, um, it's now been uh, five years since the CM Punk fight. Yep, uh, four four years, I guess. I have no idea what is driving the UFC to make this fight or want God it. God knows. God knows. And uh, and Mike Jackson is now 37. Yeah. And um, if he's going to, you know, is not really a wrestler at all. Yeah. So, like, is he going to poke holes in the one thing that Dean Barry does really, really bad? Because if not, otherwise Dean Barry, like, at least on the feet, he looks competent. He's not great. Yeah. He, yeah. uh even in the fight that he was completely dominating against uh, Abdullah Al-Busheri. And I got to find out how this guy got a seven and one record. Yeah. I mean, there's some winning opponents on here, but he wasn't, he did not look good. I think um, that's one of those. I think that's one of those regional scenes where you get a bunch of, you can get a bunch of guys that have decent looking records. And if you just keep digging through every single one of them, yeah. you will find a whole sea of zero and 15 fighters that are like the common opponents that all of the winning fighters come from. Yeah. And then they lose to other winning fighters. And then suddenly one guy looks like he's got a pretty decent record out of it all. <laughs> yeah. There's something like that going on. Yeah. This guy Which did is... not look like a, compared to the other like seven and one, seven and two, whatever, compared to Evan Elder. Yeah. Uh, this guy, Dean Barryby, looked really bad. Yeah. He, but even he in that fight. Amazingly I, uncomfortable as a striker. My, my point is that Barry was just lighting him up at will. Yeah. And even in that fight, like in the finishing sequence, he like ducked face first into a head kick. <laughs> yep. yep. <laughs> like while he was en route to KOing his opponent. Yeah. So it's not would, great, but. He's hailed as a kickboxing champion. That is always the most meaningless title. That means even less than Golden Gloves winner. It really does. And I would love to know what that kickboxing record looks like. Because there's too many kickboxing rule sets. There are too many tiny little regional organizations. Yeah. It could yeah. also just be a lie. Yeah. Because he doesn't look <laughs> like a kickboxer. You know? I mean, he he looks like a kickboxer in MMA and that his MMA sucks. <laughs> but like you know th there's nothing else about him that makes you you watch him fight and you're like oh yeah no you know like at least daniel santos willie cat who fought recently uh-huh on the regional scene fighting you could see like oh this is a guy who invested serious amounts of time in his career to trying to be a, a kickboxer at some mm -hmm. point mm-hmm and he's got a lot of like fundamental kickboxing strikes that he does, striking that he does. And he still wasn't as good as Julio Arce. He could get picked off. He's wild. He's not very slot. But like, no. Oh, but given that it was essentially a kickboxing match, you do see those style matchups in kickboxing too. Yeah. So one one guy's just a much slicker, better fighter, and he just yeah. boxes the other guy up. Dean Barry, it just you know you would be hard pressed to think that he would win a lot of kickboxing matches. Yeah. So, yeah, I got to take Dean Barry, too. It's it's just weird. I don't know why this fight exists. I don't know what the UFC is getting. 
long term out of this? Do they like do they really just not? I mean, I guess the thing is, honestly, probably that they have had a long, long policy of if you are under UFC contract, they will not cut you off a law or off a win. I don't know. I really don't know. And so, you know, I think Mike, so maybe Mike Jackson at the time he took the CM Punk fight, he argued the UFC into like a three fight deal and has just been sitting on that last fight for years. And they figured out this Dean Barry fight at some point for him. But I would be absolutely flabbergasted if either of these people ever had an MMA career yeah. that meant anything to anyone other than them. Yeah. Hey, credit to them. They, for whatever reason, they get to do it on the biggest stage. Yep. Um, I've never noticed this before. There's uh there's like topology community fight predictions at the bottom. Oh, you've never noticed that? Yeah. No, I never looked at it. This is the second most lopsided. 96% of voters are picking Dean Barry over Mike Jackson. <laughs> Yeah. Odds on the fight. We should get to that and wrap this up. Uh Dean Barry opened at minus 700. He is at minus 1133. Mike Jackson opened at plus 525. He's at plus 671. Do not bet on this fight. No. Anyway, on that note, you can find me on Twitter at TheZaneSime. You can find Connor on Twitter at BoxingBush. You can find both of us over at BloodyObo.com. Give us a like, subscribe to our podcasts. But on Bloody Obo Presents on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all those good places. And we will be back in one week's time for UFC Vegas 53 uh, Font vs. Vera, which should be a fun one. Although for some reason has a Jake Collier on Verilovsky co-main event. Thank you for listening to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, hop over to the Bloody Elbow Presents SoundCloud and iTunes pages, as well as subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We are also on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you will get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, The Mookie and Crookie Show, The Open Guard Cast, The MMA Vivisection, The Level Change Podcast, The Sixth Round Post Fight Show, Sixth Round Retro, The MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money and radio-style play-by-play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to also follow us on Twitter, at Bloody Elbow, Facebook, at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com.